You're listening to the Central City Assembly podcast. We're dedicated to sharing content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus for the good of our city and helps you grow in your love for Jesus. So enjoy this episode and may you be filled with the love of God the Father. All right, church family, good morning. Thank you again for joining us. I know that's been said over and over again, but we really do are just, we're so excited that you're here with us this morning in person and online. Um, so what I, what I wanted to do to get things started is I, I want you to finish this statement for me. Um, and Josh, you can just go to that next slide. The statement is, you haven't lived until you blank. All right, so if you're brave enough and you're like, I've got one, you haven't lived until you blank. Go ahead. Tell me what it is. You haven't lived until you? What? Loved. Loved. Okay. Going the, the, the Bible answer. Nice. Uh, what else? <laughs> Go to the beach. You haven't lived until you've gone to the beach. All right. Had a home-cooked meal. Hopefully, everybody has had that at some point in their life. Okay. Yeah, what, what's interesting about this statement I mean, kind of think about it as, as we're, we're talking, but um, what's interesting about this statement is that it's so subjective, right? Um, every person could fill in the blank with something different. Um, one person could say, you haven't lived until you've gone skydiving, right? Uh, another person could say, you haven't lived until you've tried an ugly steak from Dickman's Meat and Deli here in Tucson, Right? Uh, But those two things are so far apart from each other, right? What do skydiving and eating the best steak you'll ever have in your entire life have to do with one another? Nothing. But you haven't lived until you tried them, apparently. right? And though every person could fill in that blank differently, um, what is common about them is is I think that that living is often associated some kind of of experience or adventure, right? Traveling the world. You haven't lived until you've traveled the world, right? Trying new and exciting things. Uh, And what we're saying whenever we fill in that blank with whatever is that everyone at some point in life should experience blank, everyone, right? Or I think of people who've been told, um, maybe they've been told that, that they only have a few years or even months left to live. Uh, They're facing cancer, some fatal disease, Um, and the doctors might say, you need to get your affairs in order. You need to live the best that you can um, while you can. And so people, they they create their their bucket list, right? Uh, Before I die, before I kick the bucket, I want to do this or that. Um, And what we're actually saying by creating a bucket list is that my life will not have been complete unless... I do this thing or that thing before I die, right? I don't want to have any regrets. I don't want to look back and feel like I've not fully lived my life um, without having done this, right? And so, so let's just take a moment. Let's turn these kind of ideas inward a little bit, right? Make them personal for yourself. How would you fill in the blank, right? You haven't lived until you've what? Don't just pick anything, Right? Don't just pick anything. Right? What would, would make you feel alive? Or how would you fill in, in your bucket list if given just a little bit of time left to live? Right? What do you want to have done or accomplished before you leave this life? And again, don't just say anything. That's a really big question, isn't it? 
And what we're going to see in James today, which is the book we've been hanging out in for the past few weeks, um, is that James addresses a certain group of people. And these, these people are the ones, they have lived life to the fullest. They're the kind of people who would tell others, oh man, you've got to try this. Um, you haven't lived until you've done this because they've done it. They've done it all. Right? These people are the ones who at the end of their life will have completed their bucket list and experienced all that the earth has to offer. Okay, but get this. The, the tone of this passage isn't one of admiration or congratulations from James. Right? James isn't saying, well done. You've lived your life to the fullest. Right? You've done it. You've arrived. No, James in this passage, he tells these people, get this, to weep and howl. Right? These fully lived people weep and howl. James takes on the mantle of prophet in this passage. And he says, misery and despair are about to come upon you. Yikes. Right? Because he's saying, you think you've lived life to the fullest. You, you think you've done it all, but you're missing the point of it all. Right? And this error is incredibly fatal for your soul. Man. Sounds like a very encouraging kind of passage for us this morning, isn't it? Thanks, James, right? Well, well, the good news is that the majority, if not all of us, we're not the ones that James is talking to in this passage, right? The kind of people James addresses in this passage are, are not the kind of people I see sitting in front of us this morning or who are joining us online, right? So you can go ahead, everybody, just take a deep breath and let it out. Everything's going to be okay, you know what, and I think our ACs are not on right now. Can you just turn those on for us, Josh? Um, and we'll get some air flowing. That would be nice, right? Okay. So even though James, um, he, he isn't talking to us specifically, uh, it is still so important for us to heed his warnings. Right? In our patient walk of tested faith towards perfection with Jesus, that's what this whole thing is about, um, it's important for us to take what James says to heart. Right? And to see that we don't walk the wrong direction. To see that we don't think living is one way when it's actually another way. Right? It's important to learn what true living looks like. So I've, I've titled this message today, Living is Giving. All right? Let's pray together. Let's ask God to continue being with us. Father, we thank you that you're here. We thank you just for that awesome time of worship. God, we thank you that we can come into your presence. God, we, we can... Man, we can live however we want to throughout the week. Not that that's good. And we can repent. We can say, God, we're sorry. And we can come into your presence. We can worship you. We can lift you up. We can praise you. And you do a work inside of us. You draw us back to you. You welcome us back into your arms. And we thank you for that incredible gift. We thank you for the time that we've had together this morning to worship, to direct our hearts and our minds towards you. And God, we, we pray that you would help us to continue doing that as we direct our hearts towards you through your word. And God, I believe your word is powerful. I believe your word is true. Your word, you want to do something through your word this morning in each one of us. And so as we're praying, just right where you are, say, God, I want whatever you have for me this morning. God, give me everything you've got. I want no stone left unturned. I, I, I want to hear everything that you have for me, God. So God, prepare us. We receive what it is that you desire for us this morning. We love you. We say these things in your name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. 
All right, so let's go ahead and jump into our passage for today. We're in James chapter 5. Go ahead and open your Bibles if you haven't done already. We like to honor the Word of God here. Um, so get your physical Bible, your digital Bible, whatever you have. Um, open up to the book of James, and we're going to hang out in verses 1 through 6 today. Just six verses, okay? But these are some of the heaviest verses in the whole book of James, all right? Um, and, and, and because it is so heavy, I think it's important for us to recognize who James is talking to, right? So that we know how to properly apply this passage to our lives. Because again, the Bible isn't just something we like to read and enjoy as a pastime, right? It is wisdom for our walks. Do you believe that this morning? Come on, church family, do you believe that the word of God is wisdom for our lives? We can apply it, use it to become more like Jesus, all right? So we have a destination in mind, right? We can't forget that. And having wisdom is super helpful for helping us get to where we want to go. And that's what James is about, right? And if James is talking specifically to us, then we need to apply this passage one way. But if he's not talking specifically to us, we need to apply this wisdom differently. All right, so who is James talking to? All right, well, here's verse 1. Let's, let's go right to it. James says, verse 1, Come now, you rich... There we go. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Yikes. He holds nothing back, right? Um, and at first glimpse, James seems to be talking to who? Rich people, right? Rich people. Um, but we know that being rich is not a crime, right? Being rich is not bad or a sinful thing. Being rich doesn't automatically mean that you deserve misery in your life, like James is saying. I mean, King Solomon was filthy rich, but he loved God, right? I can think of many people who I know who, who follow Jesus, who are also wealthy. They love God. Now, King Solomon's wealth, it did lead to some problems for him in his life. Uh, he did have a dark season, um, but that doesn't mean you can't be rich and follow God. Um, being wealthy can have its obstacles in following God, though. And Jesus, he even warns against this in his own teaching, right? When the, the rich young ruler, if you remember that story, um, when he walked away from Jesus because he wasn't willing to sell all he had and follow him, Jesus said it's easier to fit a camel through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, right? Being rich has its obstacles, but it doesn't mean you can't follow Jesus, being rich doesn't mean that you are more sinful than others or worthy of misery like James is talking about. So, so James isn't addressing all rich people. He's addressing certain rich people. And as we read through this passage together, we're going to see this defined even more. But one verse that I want us to look at, one clue, um, it's a bit out of order. It's found in verse 6. So jump down to verse 6. Because James says this about the rich people he's talking to. He says, you, rich people, have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. What is James talking about here? Right, well, if we look at different Bible commentators, they have some differing opinions about this. Some co commentators take the righteous person to be the righteous one, right? Jesus himself, right? And if the righteous one or, or righteous person is, in this verse is Jesus, then who are the ones who condemned Jesus and murdered him? Right? The wealthy Jewish religious leaders, the Sadducees and Pharisees. So some commentators think that's who James is talking to. Um, and we also know from the gospel narrative 
that Jesus didn't resist his accusers, right? He could have spoken up, pulled the almighty God creator of the cosmos card and done something about his accusers, but he didn't. He stayed quiet. He didn't resist. He followed God's plan, followed God's will for his life. And so if, if Jesus... Um, is the righteous person, then the rich people James is addressing in this passage are the, the Sadducees and Pharisees. All right, but other commentators believe that the righteous person in this verse, it goes back uh, to the righteous poor in chapter 2, verse 6, who are being oppressed by the rich, right? being dragged into court, if you remember that. The rich James is talking about um, there, they would take someone to court, which would require court fees. Right? Judges don't work for free. Lawyers don't work for free right? Um, And it didn't matter if these people were taking the poor to court for legitimate reasons or if it was false. Um, If you can't pay your court fees, you you still have to go to court. If you can't pay your court fees, then how in the world as a poor person are you also going to pay for food to survive, right? So this financial burden caused by the rich ultimately equates to murder, right? Which is terrible when you think about it. But whether the righteous person in this verse, verse 6, is Jesus or just a follower of Jesus, I think the accusation James is making here is that the rich he's talking to have misused their financial wealth and power for evil instead of good. Right? That's the condemnation. That's the accusation in this verse. They've used their riches to harm rather than help. And so James isn't condemning all rich people. He's condemning a certain kind of rich people, right? A a kind of rich person that I don't think any of us are, unless you have some kind of deep, dark secret I don't know about, okay? We can talk about that later. Uh, But even more specifically, which we'll see in verses between verse 1 and 6, James's condemnation is against accumulation, Okay, accumulation. Everybody say that word with me. It's very important for today. Accumulation, right? Um, accumulation. Other words for accumulation are stockpiling, hoarding, amassing, building up. And sometimes accumulation is necessary, right? I think of humanitarian efforts from organizations like Convoy of Hope who help people during times of disaster, right? They have stockpiles of food and resources for sure, but Motivation for accumulation isn't self-preservation, it's service, right? Accumulation so that when something bad happens, they can disseminate to people who are in need, right? And what we'll see is that that's not the kind of accumulation James is addressing in this passage, right? The the accumulation James sees is for the purpose of self-preservation and that alone, right? Putting self before others, Gathering everything you can just for yourself, for your family. Being closed-handed with what you have to the detriment of others. And accumulation, most obviously, it has to do with physical material things, right? Um, But you can accumulate non-material things as well. You can chase after and accumulate experiences or, or feelings or desires, right? All for the sake of self. And James's goal is to point out the incredible danger of this kind of selfish accumulation, especially when it comes to our walks with Jesus. Right? Because let, let's think about hiking again. I know we have some avid hikers with us this morning, right? Um, and let's think of a, a previous message in this series where I talked about in our walk with Jesus, we should only take what we absolutely have to take. 
right? Because when, we, when you're hiking, like in the real world, you can only carry so much, right? You can try and carry as much as you can, but is that necessary, right? And if you carry too much, it's going to, what, weigh you down. It's going to make your hike way more difficult than it has to be. Um, carrying too much can also lead to injury in, in your back, your, your legs, your knees, and it can threaten your ability to reach your destination. An accumulation in the world has the same effect, but spiritually in our walks with Jesus. Right? Accumulation of the material and non-material for self-preservation, right? even if like just out of greed, which is, is not good, right? it threatens our ability to reach our destination of perfection and wholeness with Jesus. Accumulation, it can weigh you down prevent you from moving forward. It can also be spiritually damaging to you. But what's most devastating is that the damage, it's self-inflicted because accumulation is a choice. We, we, we decide we're going to accumulate and hold on to things. All right, so in, in verses two through five, uh, James points out three methods of accumulation that happen. Three methods that, that the rich use to accumulate material and non-material things and the dangers they face because of it. All right, so we're going to look at the, these methods of accumulation, and then we're going to talk about how we combat accumulation. All right, so let's start with verse 2. Everybody know the plan? Everybody know where we're going? Good, let's do it. So let's start with verses 2 and 3. James says this, Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like a fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Yikes, again, right? He just lays it on really thick for everybody. It makes us feel really good. Okay, but I promise we'll, we'll get to the positive stuff, all right? Um, so what is James addressing here in verse 2 and 3? Right, your riches have rotted. What kind of things rot? Food stuff, right? So James is saying your food is rotting, no good. Right? Your garments are moth-eaten. Every fashionista and fashionista's worst nightmare, right? Um, your gold and silver are corroded. Uh-oh, that's not good for the gold standard, right? Um, what's going on here? Why are these material things spoiling and getting destroyed? Is it some kind of supernatural plague sent by God to teach the rich a lesson? Well, no. These things are just natural consequences of disuse. Disuse, which often commonly happens with hoarding. Right? And that's the first method of accumulation that James is addressing here, hoarding. And hoarding in the kingdom of God is sinful. All right, and don't jump to conclusions. I'm not a hoarder. I'm going to show you that you might be, okay? Think about the parable of the talents. The master, he gave talents to several of his servants and told them to use them to, to do something good with them. And some of the servants, they used their talents to multiply them for the good of their master. And when they returned, the master said, well done, my good and faithful servants. But there was one servant who buried or hoarded, even though it was a small amount, and the master rebuked him, right? Cast him out of his presence. Why? Here it is. Because the servant allowed his talent to fall into disuse, rather good use for the kingdom of, of his master, right? And every good and perfect gift we have in our lives comes from God. It comes from above. We read that earlier in James, 
right? Everything, the material things that we have included are good gifts from God. And God's purpose for those good gifts is to use them for his glory and the good of his kingdom. But when we hoard and hold on to those good gifts and allow them to fall into disuse, right, we're no different than the servant who buried and hoarded his treasure. Right? When we don't use our good gifts, they will ultimately go to waste. They will rot, get eaten by moths, corrode, they'll waste Right? And, and there's a really fine line between hoarding and saving. Right? Well, I'm just saving those, right? Well, we save usually with the intention of using what we will save for a future time. Right? There, there's nothing wrong with saving. Saving is absolutely, that's wise, right? Um, but when we hoard, and you see this in people who are diagnosed with compulsive hoarding disorders, there is no intention to use what is hoarded, and it goes to waste. It just sits there. Right? The good that God has given them is falling into disuse rather than good use for the glory of God and the good of his kingdom. Right? And it's sinful. And these people in this passage, they're not savers, they're hoarders. They're holding on to everything that they have for self. And what we have to ask ourselves is what do I have, right? What has God given me in my life? What do I have that is being used, and what do I have that is falling into disuse? Because everything you have is a good gift from God, and if you're not using it, you're hoarding it, and you're ultimately wasting that good gift when it could be used for so much more. Right, so, First method of accumulation is hoarding. The second method of accumulation, it's addressed in verse 4. So let's keep going. James says in verse 4, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back from fraud, or by fraud, uh are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. So the, the second method of accumulation is fraud. All right? And again, don't jump to conclusions. I've never done anything fraudulent in my life. I'm going to show you how maybe you have. Okay? Owning land back in the day was a big deal, right, in James's day. And if you owned land, you were probably quite wealthy. Uh, and wealthy landowners, they would hire out day laborers uh, to take care of their land, plant seeds, uh, tend to the crops, harvest them when the time came. And usually this kind of work was all that the day laborers had. It was their primary source of income and survival, right? So there was almost a symbiotic relationship between landowners and day laborers. They needed each other. But some of the more greedy landowners, not wanting to part with their money, they would try and find sketchy legal ways to hold back their wages from their workers. Kind of maybe different like, you know, tax loopholes that we have today. And they would wrongfully accuse their workers of something, and they would take them to court. Right? But their accusations were fraudulent. Right? It looked legal and reasonable, but their intention was sinful. It was to hurt, harm, rather than to help. Right? They just didn't want to let go of their money. And since most day laborers were poor and lower class, they couldn't fight back against these rich landowners. They had to go with it. Right? And when the rich people's stashes of cash should have been decreasing relatively in order to pay their laborers, they were increasing through fraudulent means. Okay, needless to say, but I'm going to say it anyways, that's just downright evil. It's just wrong and sinful. 
And again, I don't think any of us are doing shady business deals or handling our money in sinful ways, all right? Um, If you are, then stop, obviously. But probably none of us are, are, are doing that. Right? So, so what does this verse mean for us? Right? What do we need to look out for when it comes to accumulation through fraud? Well, what has God asked you to give or let go of that you're still holding on to? It would be anything. What are you still holding on to, not giving away, that God has asked you to release? What gift or skill or resource do you have that could be blessing others, but it isn't because you aren't putting it to good use. You're not giving it away. You're not sharing it with others. Or think of it this way. Is there someone in your life who is struggling or maybe even suffering when they could be thriving if all you did was let go of whatever it is God is asking you to let go of? Right? That's accumulation through fraud. Right? And we need to be careful that we don't fall into that. Right, so that's the second method. The third method of accumulation is in verse 5. And James says this. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. Oh, that sounds kind of nice, right? Um, you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Not so nice. Okay, the third method of accumulation is self-indulgence. Mm, James is making us feel so good. I know it. All right. We're going to get to the good in just a moment, all right? All right, but self-indulgence. What does this have to do with accumulation? How do they relate? Well, this is where accumulation moves beyond the material to the non-material. Self-indulgence isn't so much about accumulating things. It's about what the things do to make you feel self-indulgence. Right? It's about accumulating experiences, sensations, feelings for the purpose of self-satisfaction and fulfillment. This kind of self-indulgent accumulation, it looks like constantly trying to fill yourself up so that you never feel empty, right? It's about always trying to satisfy and fulfill your desires, but with things and with people and experiences, right? We might say things like, man, I I need to be comfortable, right? So I'm going to accumulate everything that I need to, indulge in everything that I need to in order to feel comfortable in this life. Or we might say things like, man, food, it just, when I eat food, it makes me really happy. Right? I, I don't feel um, empty when I eat food. So I'm, I'm just going to eat, I'm going to indulge all kinds of food. Or, or we might say things like, I, I don't feel like I have purpose unless my calendar is full. Or I can't stand being still, not doing anything. So we accumulate activities and appointments and we indulge in social engagements, right? Self-indulgement can take on many different forms, right? But all of it is accumulation. And the problem with this goes back to what we've talked about a few times in this series already. is that our desires are infinite because we were created to have our infinite desires satisfied by an infinite God. But when we try to meet our infinite desires through the finite created world, we'll never truly be satisfied. It doesn't work, right? We'll just want more and more and more, accumulate, 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 
So that's accumulation through self-indulgence. And we might not live in luxury like we would like to, you know, like the Kardashians or whoever. Um, we, we might not be able to have, uh, you know, the finance, finances to wine and dine and travel like we want to. But all of us have self-indulgent tendencies. They just might look different. We all have a tendency to, to look to self and the world for satisfaction rather than God. And like we said earlier, sometimes we, and especially the world, thinks that living is about accumulating. And you've lived really well if you've accumulated a lot of stuff. Accumulating things, accumulating experience. Right? You've not lived until you've done this. Right? Before you die, right, you got to do this. All right, so, so what does self-indulgence look like for you? Right, what do you tend to accumulate in your life so that you feel satisfied and fulfilled? And are those things truly satisfying, or do you just find yourself wanting more and more accumulating, accumulating? Right, see, all, all of these methods of accumulation, um, James says they lead to negative consequences for us. Uh, accumulation through hoarding, fraud, self-indulgence, they actually work against us, not for us, right? Um, in, in, in verse 1, James says it clearly, right? You rich, misery is coming, right? Your riches, your wealth is not working for you. It's working against you. Um, and then also in other verses, James says that your hoarding, your fraud, your self-indulgence, it'll do two things. It's going to testify against you, but it's also going to act as tender against you. Tender being the stuff that helps fires really burn, okay? And what do I, what do I mean by all this? Well, you might feel good and satisfied that you've hoarded your possessions in the moment. It feels good, right? But the rotten food, the moth-eaten clothing, the corroded precious metals, they testify against you in your motivations. They're for selfish purposes and not God-glorifying purposes. Right? But also, all of that stuff that you've, you've hoarded is ultimately perishable. More specifically, it's flammable. Right? And many times throughout the Bible, things are, that are truly valuable and worthwhile, they're tested by fire. And chances are everything you've hoarded won't stand up to the fire and it will actually work as tinder against you. Imagine all of your stuff around you set aflame you in the middle, right? It eats your flesh like fire, James says. Right? He's, he's painting these graphic images. Or, or what about the wages withheld through fraud, right? Those are going to testify against you too. You can't hide anything from God, right? James says the wages themselves will cry out testify against you, and the laborers will cry out to God against you. And we know that God has a soft spot for the poor and the oppressed, those who are, are vulnerable. And anytime the poor and vulnerable are taken advantage of, God, he stands up for them, and he takes vengeance against the oppressed. All right, what about this self-indulgence? James says you're filling and you're fattening yourself up, right, which feels good in the moment, but which cows or pigs or other herd animals are most desirable for slaughtering and selling for meat? The fat ones, right? Your self-indulgence is working against you, not for you. Do you see the images he's painting? Right? And James is trying to make his point very clear. Accumulation through hoarding, fraud, self-indulgence, it shouldn't be taken lightly especially if you want to reach your destination of perfection and wholeness with Jesus. We can't think, oh, it's just food. Right? Oh, it's just, it's just things. 
oh, I'm just having fun. No, we gotta take it seriously. Accumulation in this, this way, it's just gonna weigh you down. It's gonna keep you from getting closer to Jesus and will ultimately lead to destruction if you don't take it seriously. All right, there's all the negative stuff, okay? Finally done with that stuff. All right, but, but what do we do with it, James? All right, well, again, as in a previous passage, James doesn't give us the answer for what we're supposed to do. Thank you, James. All right, but the answer, it can be inferred by looking at the opposite of accumulation and by looking at what the rest of Scripture has to say. All right, so in the kingdom of God, what do you think the opposite of accumulation is? In the kingdom of God, what do you think the opposite of accumulation is? Yeah, giving, right? Accumulation, gathering, keeping, the opposite, giving, right? True living is giving. And in the kingdom of God, it's always better to give than receive. Acts chapter 20, verse 35, Jesus is quoted as saying this, it's more blessed to give than to receive. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus also said, give, and it will be given to you. And then he amplifies it. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. That sounds good. Right? For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Right? Living is giving. And so if hoarding ultimately leads to disuse and waste, how do we combat this? Right? Then to combat hoarding, we need to think of everything that God has given us. Right? And like James says, every good and perfect gift comes from God. Everything you have is from God, given to you by God. We first have to acknowledge that. You may have worked really hard for it, but ultimately God has given it to you. Right? So what do you have in your house, in your life? Right? What skills and gifts do you have? Are you letting those things fall into disuse? Or are you putting them to good use? Right? Take inventory of what God has given you and ask yourself, how am I using this? Right? Everything, everything can be used for the glory of God. It doesn't matter what it is. Everything can be used for the glory of God. So how am I using this for the glory of God and the good of those around me? And if you aren't using it yet, then ask God, show me how to use this for your glory, God, and the good of your kingdom. Right? And then be obedient to whatever he has to say. And what I find interesting about, you know, these, these ideas of disuse and good use um, is that they both result in some kind of wear and tear. Right? Like James said in verses 2, through, two and 3, disuse of food, clothing, riches, it leads to rot, moth-eaten holes, and corrosion. Right? And so as you're taking inventory, asking God what you have, and he shows you, right, those are some signs to look for in your life. Is what God has given me corroded moth-eaten, rotten, right? Um, and so when you take inventory, take, use those as signs. But when you use those things and you use them often, they're also going to go through some changes. Think about your favorite pair of shoes that you wear every single day. The soles are going to wear down when you put them to good use, right? A knife, your favorite kitchen knife, it's going to grow dull as you use it over and over again. And likewise, when we think about it, a house that is used to serve and bless people and show others hospitality and the love of Jesus is going to get messy. Some of your things are going to get broken. A kid might throw something at your TV and break it. You know what? That's okay, right? Or, or, or what about your car? 
right? If your car that you use to take people to church every Sunday or to deliver food um, to, to elderly people or those who need it, your tires are going to get worn. Right? Or think about somebody who reads their physical Bible all the time. My wife has this Bible, and it is ugly. It is torn up. It is worn down. But she knows that Bible. She uses it, right? James, whose letter we're reading through, right, he was given the weird nickname of Camel Knees. All right? Because he used his gift of prayer so much, kneeling, praying to God, that he grew calluses on his knees, and it looked like a camel. Right? The point is... Worn out does not mean wasted. Worn means used and used well, right? And so a good sign that you're using what God has given you is that it might be a little tattered. It might be a little worn out. And you know what? That's okay. It's so much better than being rotten, moth-eaten, and corroded, right? Living is giving. Okay, so how do we combat accumulation through fraud then? Well, simply put, be open-handed with what God has given you. Right? If your hands are closed and wrapped tightly around your stuff, no matter what it is, then your hands are unavailable to be used by God. God can't use a closed hand. He can't fill it with good tools for his glory, his kingdom. Right? Clenched fists are useless in the kingdom of God. Right? Fists are really good for destroying, right? But for the kingdom of God, building the kingdom of God, it's no good. Right? But open hands can be used for giving, healing, restoring, helping. So do you want to be used by God to build the kingdom of God and have eternal impact? If so, then be open-handed. Right? Let go when God says let go. Be obedient when God says give. Living is giving. And then finally, how do we combat self-indulgence? Well, it might sound weird to say, but you fight indulgence with more indulgence. Okay, you fight indulgence with more indulgence. But instead of indulging in the wrong things, you indulge in the right things. Specifically, you shift your self-indulgence to God-indulgence. Right, guess what? Here's a secret to life. God will never accuse you of doing wrong by delighting in him too much. Right? He will never say, whoa, back off, I need a little space. Right? He'll never accuse you of indulging too much. Right? So indulge in God. Make him the center of your life, your reason for living. And he will always bless that. Right? And when you indulge in God in that way, you're going to know him better. Scriptures say that your desires will become his desires, or vice versa, I mean. And God's desires are always to love and serve his children. And the closer you are to God, the more you indulge in him, you're going to know that. You're going to see the people that need to be served, see the people that need help. And so then when that happens, when you see that, indulge in blessing other people. Indulge in blessing the people who need it. Is it possible to be too much of a blessing to someone? I don't think so. Now, sure, you could offer help where, where help isn't asked for or needed. You can impose blessing on people who don't need it, who aren't asking for it. That's not what I'm talking about. But when you are prompted by God to give and serve, he will never say, you bless that person too much. Right? So indulge in God and indulge in blessing others. Right? Don't let your things fall to disuse, but put them to good use. Be open-handed with what God has given you so you can be his hands in the world and build his kingdom. 
right, and combat self-indulgence with God-indulgence and indulging and blessing the people God leads you to bless, right? True living isn't about accumulating, right? You haven't lived until you've given. I know that's not proper grammar, but it sounds good, right? True living is giving, amen? So here are some questions I'd love for you to either take a picture of, write down, take a screenshot if you're watching online, Uh, but some questions to guide you throughout your week. Um, What I recommend is that you hang out in a passage of God for a whole week, right? Savor the word of God. Don't fast food it, right? Don't just scarf it down and go to the next thing. And these questions are meant to help you really savor the word of God. All right, so question number one, do you tend to be more accumulating minded or more giving minded? Number two, what gifts, skills, or resources has God given you to put to good use that are currently falling into disuse? Number three, who in your life is suffering or struggling but could be thriving if you're open-handed with the things God has given you? And number four, in what ways can you be less self-indulgent and more God-indulgent? And I know all these questions seem heavy, right? But we've been given the tools to combat these things. Right, so what are we going to do about it for whatever God shows us as we reflect on these verses? Amen? Let me pray for you. God, we're, we're so humbled that you would speak through space and time, that you would speak into our lives words that are supremely good and good for us. God, we're so undeserving. And God, we, we recognize in our own lives maybe ways that, that we, have, um, we have hoarded. We've held on to things through fraud or we've been self-indulgent. And God, we just humble ourselves and say, God, we want true living. God, we don't want living the way the world says. We want true living according to your word, according to your kingdom. And so God, would you help us to see that living is giving. God, show us where where we can give more. And I know so many people, our church family, they're so generous. And and God, I pray that you'd continue to bless them. But help us to see how we can be generous outside of the church too, to those around us. God, show us how we can be open-handed with the things you've given us. Show us how to, how to put what you've given us to good use so it doesn't fall into disuse, so it's not wasted. God, help us to indulge in, in you and indulge in blessing the people that you lead us to. God, I know that there's some here today who, who feel like they don't have anything to give. The enemy right now is saying, you have nothing. The enemy is saying, what could you give? You have nothing. But God, I I speak the favor and the faith of the widow who gave her might over those right now. I speak the faith of the widow who had just a little bit of oil left in her house, but you multiplied it, God. God, you give us everything we need to be the people you want us to be, You want us to be giving, God. So we know, we look to you right now. Help us be giving, God. 
give us what we need so that we can give in return. Not for self, but for your glory, God, and the good of your kingdom. Let that faith arise in each one of us this morning. Help us to see all of the good that you've given us and how we can use it for your glory, for your kingdom. And Lord, we're just so excited for this walk that you've set us on. We're so excited that in everything that we do, you're drawing us closer to you. You're making us become more like your son, Jesus. And we're so thankful for that. We're so in awe of that. Help us reach our destination, God. Lord, we just thank you. We're in awe of you. And we say all of these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you are blessed by this episode and would like to help us create more content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus, would you consider giving a financial gift of any amount today? Whatever you give will go towards building the kingdom of God in the lives of people all over the world. Thank you for your support, and we pray many blessings over you. Thank you.